Welcome to New World Books, and thank you for joining our podcast channel. We believe that when you open a book, you open a new world. Each week, we'll be coming to you with an interview with authors from around the country and around the globe. And now for our host, Sandy Aldrich. Sandy Aldridge with New World Books. Welcome to our podcast channel. And tonight's guest author is Sean E. Decker, author, speaker, and life coach. Sean, welcome. Hey, Sandy. How are you doing today? Fantastic. How about yourself? I'm doing quite well. Kind of enjoying vacation down in Tennessee at the moment. That's great. And, you know, I want to thank you for taking time from your vacation to go ahead and, and chat with me. Um, I'm excited to share your book with our listeners. And um, Sean is the author of a book called Running from Miracles, It's Time to Come Home. So, um, Sean, how many books have you written? Uh, currently two. Two. Awesome. Awesome. And what's the name of your other book? The Seven Keys to Unlocking a Life of Value. Okay, great. I'll probably have to get you back on here for that one then sometime. Um, So when did you first realize you wanted to be a writer? Uh, I guess the funny part of it was, is I actually didn't have an intention of being a writer. Uh, I just believe I had a story that was worth telling. Okay, that's great. And I've, I've read your book. Um, and I, I agree with you. I believe that you do. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Running from Miracles? What inspired you to write the book? Well, probably one of the biggest things is I've had a lot of tragedies in my life as well as uh, just a lot of situations that, honestly, I should be dead from. And so I, I think sometimes people go through some internal struggles as well as situations in their life or even tragedies and they sometimes wonder you know why this happened to me or why am I going through this or uh, sometimes just the uh, overwhelming situations that can happen to friends or family or children and so I I really feel like there's not as much hope or inspiration uh, these days especially if you watch a lot of your secular media or uh, social media and stuff like that. So uh, I just really wanted to kind of convey with people that, you know, there there is hope in their life. And coming from my particular background where I've just seen interesting situations that I shouldn't have walked away from and the, the amount of miracles in my life that I, I felt that it would be advantageous for others to have the ability to kind of read or review or look at some of the information so that they can realize, hey, maybe they're not alone. Well, that's great. Would, would you like to elaborate on a few of those situations? I know you've got quite a few different stories that you share uh, in the book, but maybe maybe take, take a little bit of time and go into two, three, four of them and just, just so that the readers can understand that maybe they that they can connect with you. Well, you know, for, for example, like I, I grew up in, uh, if we always went all the way back, my, my parents weren't Christians. Uh, they had a very kind of dysfunctional past. They went through some really just tragic stuff even before I was born. And then when I was about four years old, 
uh, I was diagnosed with a rare heart disease called pericarditis. Uh, they said that my liver was turning over. I was turning blue. Um, and, and really that my organs were failing. And so one of the things my mom done, she, she had grown up in like a Southern Baptist or Pentecostal background. And even though she had real, no, I guess no religion or, or those type of things, she called one of her grandmothers and the grandmother actually stopped the whole church and the church started praying and the doctors come back in a little bit later and says, you know, we, we don't know what's going on, but he's coming back. And so, and at the time my dad, uh, had gotten the message from one of the game wardens because he was commercial fishing. And when, uh, he got the message, he actually expected that when he came, started driving back, it was about six hours away and that he figured when he got into the hospital that I was going to be dead. And so he sees my mom down on the floor and she's bawling and she's crying. He's really thinking, you know, what, what can I say to her to, you know, maybe comfort her or, or tell her something positive. And, you know, so she walks o- or he walks over to talk to her and sh- she's just like, Hey, uh, the, the doctor says he's better, uh, that he's been just miraculously healed. So that was kind of one of the underdog situations that really is how my life started. It started from a situation of just really having kind of an underdog style thing and uh, really where, you know, I just shouldn't have made it. I think lots of times, you know, people go through really tragic things like that where there, there's no reason or maybe it happened so early that it, it you know, it wasn't their fault or uh, it, it wasn't something, but maybe it had a lasting effect attached to it. So I think that's always uh, a big deal. Lots of times for people to realize is, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you had a, horrible start it doesn't mean you can't have a positive finish that's awesome that's a great message and uh, is there anything else you'd like to share yeah, the then later you know um I, I was quite the rebellious kid and and uh got into several type of sexual addictions and, and not understanding what sexual preferences i had and and uh several car accidents and and really, again, shouldn't have made it. But uh, and one of the kind of things that that was interesting is much later in life, I'd actually go and talk to uh, other psychiatrists or different things like that. And probably one of the funniest responses after going to a psychiatrist is they told me, which I don't know if they're supposed to tell you this, but the psychiatrist looked at me and says, you know, considering all that you've been through, you really should be more damaged than you are. And which, which I always thought was kind of funny because, you know, you, you always think, you know, you, you go in there and they've got some positive, you know, whatever. And then they're kind of re- reiterating to you that, Hey, yeah, you, you really should have a lot of issues considering all the stuff that you've been through, but somehow you you've made it. And so, I think that's a big part of it. And so like when I was about 17, I had gotten a car and uh, I, I was a reckless teenager, pretty much like most kids. And, and my mom had told me, Hey son, you know, on your, on your way home today, uh, make sure that you're careful uh, on your way home. And I was like, okay, mom. And, and I dismissed her. I think like so many people do. And so of course I was running late that night. And so instead of, 
you know, wearing my seatbelt and being all proper. I'm doing 80 miles an hour on a dark, dark country road. And, mm. uh, I, I dropped something down in the floor and uh, I think it was some peach cobbler and, and I worked for Hardee's at the time. And so I figured, okay, well, if I don't get this off the floor, then I'm never going to get it clean. And so I, when I reached down, I went off the road. And then when I come back onto the road, my le- left front tire blew out. And I was driving a 1996 mm. Ford Festiva. And it went completely right and went into the ditch. And I rolled it 10 times. And oh my word. in the process of that, I, I literally, the car's not a big car to begin with. Uh, I used to call it a roller skate on wheels. But one of the things that was interesting is, if you had taken the driver's side, it was the only part of the car that was not crushed. It, it was like I'd literally been wrapped in an eggshell. That glass wasn't busted. The door wasn't messed up. The roof wasn't bent. But the entire other sections of the car were crushed. And and sometimes when I'm trying to explain it to people, I say, okay, well, you know, think of a car that looks like a square, round both front corners, take the uh, uh the the section in the back of it and then literally push it down to the rear bumper take both doors and push them in about a foot and a half and take the right side of the ceiling and push it down about three inches below where the window is supposed to go and i walked out of that with really just a few scratches and so again i, I grew up in a lot of miraculous style things but that one situation was also kind of an awareness that, you know, lots of times we're, we're in uh, sometimes a life-changing event or moment in our life. And someone might be trying to warn us or, or give us a heads up because they're, you know, you, you could call it a sixth sense. Now, again, I believe it was God, but she knew something was wrong that day. And so me still being a fool and, and not really being uh, as acute to some of the things that I would say maybe I am later in life. I didn't listen. And yet, once again, God protected me. And, and I was able to literally walk out of that situation just unscathed. That's truly amazing. Truly a miracle. And then, um, and, and yeah, I, I've just, I, I just can't count how many times it, situations in, in my life that, you know, again, like, like the psychiatrist says, so you really should be messed up. You should have some real issues. But, but I think, again, lots of times when we're uh, grounded or anchored in certain things, we're, we're able to overcome things that lots of times can paralyze other people. And because of that, you know, uh, actually several years before that, like I had gotten Bell's palsy and the left side of my face was paralyzed and I literally just woke up with it. And then I actually had some uh, effects of the paralysis in my left hand. And so I would draw real bad and had a hard time maybe opening stuff. And I remember kind of two main things out of it. One was I remember how just because there was a, 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 a distortion in your face that people would treat you different. They would treat you like you're ignorant or incompetent or those type of things, regardless of your ability to process information or to think. And I think that that's sometimes what people do to people with disabilities. But 
my mom come up to me one day and she says, baby, you know, uh, how are you taking this? You know, or are, are people, uh, you know, maybe giving you a hard time or, you know, those type of things. I said, well, yeah, I said, people are picking on me, but look at all the cool faces I can make because the left side doesn't move. And so I can make all these cool faces with the right side of my face. And so, so, uh, I, I think that lasted about six or nine months. And, and, uh, even today, like certain people that know me or know me well can still say, okay, well, you know, I, I see some maybe possible residual effects, but I think lots of times we go through things and it can have an emotional effect as well as, uh, some, some deeper impacts. And so, but if you can keep the right attitude or a heart about it, I, I think lots of times you can go through just major situations in your life and and just have some real promise or belief that, hey, everything's going to be OK. And, and just because something on that surface looks a particular way doesn't mean that's who you really are. And so I think that was kind of one thing I, re- I really got out of that. And then. Probably the the next one I would really like to bring up for really everybody is when my son was about six years old, um, he was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. And this was in my first marriage. And, you know, I, I talk about quite a bit of stuff that I did wrong in my first marriage. But but one of the things was that when he was diagnosed with that, he was in the process of doing some inline speed skating and he was actually scheduled to go to nationals that year and uh, done actually quite well in the pre-regionals. But if you did well in pre-regionals, then that pretty much lets you know what you were going to do and be headed to nationals. And, And he did quite well. But at that particular event, we found out that he would keep using the bathroom between the rounds and he would talk about his stomach hurting really bad and, and he was just out of breath. And, and so after all that, it kind of concerned us. So we took him to the hospital and we found out that he was losing uh, a quarter cup to a half a cup of blood a day through his stools. And oh my goodness. It, it was kind of really a shock to us. And so we go down to the doctors and, you know, and, and one of the first things they end up telling us is, Hey, this is incurable. Um, and we're going to have to cut out 25 foot of your son's intestines. And he's a six year old boy. And I, I just remember being established enough in, in my belief in so many of the other miracles God did. I, I just says, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. I said, but you're going to come up with another way. They're like, well, you know, we, we've been dealing with this for 20 years and, and this is really the best option and all those type of things. And I said, well, that's great but find another way. And so that one part of it, I would always recommend is just because you're in a horrible situation, don't automatically bend to professionals. Make sure that you have that inner peace about the situation. And so to kind of finish that part of the story. So later we would find out he was in the top three percentile of the worst cases they had ever seen in children. And, they come back in the room and they told us, okay, well, if you're not going to do surgery, then there's this experimental drug that's not really tested on kids. But if you're willing to try it, then we can go ahead and use it. And that was Humira. And if you're familiar with 
Humera or the commercials on Humera, it's one of the biggest anti-inflammatory drugs on the market now that is specifically being used to target that particular thing. But we would find out that, and so they would put him through the shots. He would end up going back in the hospital multiple other times. And pretty much every time we would go, it was kind of the same story as this is incurable. He's going to have to live with this for the rest of his life. It's one of the worst cases we've seen. And, and that went on for a total of 12 years. And uh, r- right as I was finishing the book, my son had uh, actually went to one of the doctors and he had uh, not had any visits in over three years. And they says, you know, he doesn't have to take any of his pills and stuff. And so that by itself is literally a miracle because, you know, when, when you're starting at something and it's a 12 year issue and doctors are literally saying there's nothing that we can do about this. There is no cure for it. There is no fix for it. You know, had we done that, a lot of doctors had told us, you know, well, you know, he, he might still have issues with his intestines or it might cause problems or it might affect his food or it might. So there are just all these probabilities. But because we, again, went with our belief and our faith, we got to see that God just done an amazing, amazing thing in that particular situation. But what's even cooler is what's not in the book. And that's about six months ago. So it was about a year and a half, two years after I wrote finished the book but we my son went in there they they done a full colonoscopy and i think it's called an ectogram and all these other things where they scoped him and used all these fancy gadgets and to 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 look at his insides and and so they do that and they're like you know what he has perfect intestines there's absolutely nothing wrong with them we can't hardly see any scar tissue we we don't even see really has any evidence and so they put him through a stress test, you know, to check his heart rates and his vitals and stuff like that. So he finishes the stress test. They set him down, you know, for whatever appropriate time it was. And his resting heart rate was 48. And, and they said, does he work out? And he's like, yeah, I work out all the time. He's, they said, well, you have the heart of an Olympic athlete, that you're in that good of shape. And. You don't have to take any medicine, and we don't see where uh, I- anything is wrong. We don't see any effects on it. We don't, you know. And so again, lots of times, if we'll we'll persevere even through some of these darkest moments or darkest situations where there literally seems like no hope, even when sometimes family is mad at you or backbiting or they're just negative about the situation, you you have to. Keep yourself encouraged and stay in hope, knowing that God's in the middle of it and that he will see you through because he, he's just faithful. He's a good God. And so that's yeah, always the thing I try to let people know is, is not religion, but relationship, because there's such a huge difference between reading a book that has rules in it versus understanding the love of someone that's really trying to protect us. And, and so I think lots of times when I get talking with people or sometimes talking about their situations, they, they don't understand the difference. They don't understand someone that's truly their friend or 
or someone that's really looking out for them or their best interests. And so I think lots of times there's right. a lot of religious misconception. And, you know, again, I, I'm not saying that sin is good because the Bible says that uh, any anyone that sins, that there's death attached to it. But I think lots of times people think, well, if I'm if I sin or I do something that's wrong, or something that's a problem, then, then God's trying to punish me. And what, like, I like to tell people a lot of times is, you know, if I turn a stove on, it's hot. So if I tell my kid not to touch it and they touch it and it burns them, was I wanting something to happen to them? Of course not. I didn't want it to happen to them. I didn't want this negative thing. So I had a particular rule in place there because it was going to harm them. Well, one of the best explanations I ever heard about sin is sin just means simply to miss the mark. So if my son didn't listen to an instruction, simply he missed it. And so we're going to miss things. So lots of times people think that God's trying to punish them versus that it's built into the mistake. It's, it's built into the misunderstanding. And if we will simply read an instruction book that is about how much he loves us, then we can miss a lot of those mistakes. And so what I did in my book is really talked about a lot of the personal mistakes I made. And then a lot of the lessons I learned and a lot of the prayers that I learned to have even maybe later in life or after just kind of reflecting and writing the book. And so I, yeah, now, Sean, you, you and I have talked about that uh, at length in the past. Would you mind going into a little bit of detail for the listeners about um, when, when you come to the realization that a lot of the problems that you're having are actually your own fault? And, and, and how, how to deal with those types of situations. Well, one of the favorite phrases, well, I won't say it was a favorite phrase, especially in the younger parts of my life. But my mom used to tell me is, and she actually got it from her granddad, but her, her granddad used to tell her, hey, sweetie, 90% of the things that happen in your life are your own fault. And the other 10% are just dumb luck. And so work on the 90% and then deal with the 10% when they roll around. And so I think lots of times, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And so if we will put ourselves in situations or uh, ways of thinking that allow us to address some of those issues in advance, then we can really avoid a lot of things in life. And so lots of times that's that's where I've come up with a lot of value principles and, and hopefully a book will be releasing in uh, July 15th of 2020. And so we really kind of address a lot of the value principles. And, and I got a lot of that scripturally speaking, because the Bible says to consider or to value or to esteem or um, to honor. And these are all value words. And I think lots of times people don't realize that such a small thing can has such a major impact in their life. That's good. That's good. Um, so 
Sean, can you tell me when you were writing the book, is there anything that you learned about yourself while you were actually in the process of writing? Oh, dear God. In a lot of aspects, it was literally almost an emotional nightmare. And the reason why I say that is I have, uh, I won't say a full photographic memory, but I have a relatively extensive photographic memory. And so as I started writing the book, you know, you'd write one part and you'd remember additional stories and and you kind of go from there. But because I have such a extensive memory on, on a lot of the things, uh, I would literally remember back to those particular feelings, those emotions, the uh, literally in some cases just wanting to give up or or liter- in some cases to die. Uh, I had really a, almost a suicidal thing for probably several years. I called it a death wish where, you know, I, I really just felt no reason to live or go on or or anything and so um but as i was writing it i would have to kind of relive some of those situations because in in my opinion i think lots of times it does not do people justice to not really understand what you were really going through because i can look back now and say okay yeah you know i learned this or i learned that but at the same time, to really try to convey some of the story stuff, I had to remember how I felt then, that day, that that event, what mm. what was really what I was really going through in that particular moment, the the hopelessness or the again, the desire to kill myself or the uh, ridiculous amounts of depression or the realization at the time that maybe I had done a lot of this stuff to myself that that I'm the one that had destroyed my life or my relationships or my marriage, or maybe it's because I failed to take an opportunity or I didn't finish school or, you know, all those type of things. And so a lot of it for me was the, the mental realization of the things I had done in the process of writing the story. But then after I had written all the stories and stuff, I, I got done and, and my, my wife, of course, she, she helps me so much in, in, in the writing that I've done, but I handed it to her and we had done most of the editing and she looks at it and she said, well, baby, I just don't feel that there's a lot of meat in this. I'm like, what do you mean? She says, well, you know, you're, <laughs> you, you, you've told them all this stuff that you went through. She says, but what did you learn? And so mm. I, I spent the next six months going through every single story and specifically trying to remember maybe a particular lesson that I learned out of that particular thing that that really helped me maybe later in life. And the other thing I wanted to do was to give someone maybe a small prayer that they can say to themselves as maybe as a devotional to encourage them to to realize, hey, you know, I am going through this. Yes, it's a struggle. Uh, yes, there might be pain involved, but there's still hope at the end of this that that maybe if I can change my mind, I can change my uh, my end result. That's great. So so now with with each story that you share, you do share that thought and that that prayer. Right. Um, so this book actually would be a very good book for people to use as maybe a daily. Yeah, I, I, I've gotten several responses from people that 
you know, like I, I had some people in North Carolina, they were reading it. And so I texted them several months later and I said, Hey, have you finished the book? And she said, honestly, I haven't. I said, Oh, okay. And I was kind of confused because she's a real avid reader. And she said, honestly, I've kind of been using it for a devotional every day. And my husband's actually going through some of these situations and it's actually helping him. So we're, you know, so I've actually had a situation where a couple was reading the book together and discussing some of the traumas they were having in other situations. Uh, because like I was a youth pastor for about eight years and I also taught at detention centers with troubled teens. Uh, I've had troubled teens and stuff literally, you know, change their mind about God because of it. So we've seen salvations because of the book. Uh, another thing is, is that because I'm so real, raw and transparent in the book, it really allows people to see that, you know, God doesn't hate people because they've been through stuff. And I think sometimes, again, that that's a mistake. But another part of it is, is we've had devotionals. It can be used as icebreakers uh, in other cases, study groups. You know, because it, it it's such a transparent book over such a lengthy amount of time. Uh, it, it's been funny because, you know, we, we talked to some marketing people and stuff and they've all said, well, you know, who's your target? And uh, even the guy that narrated our book, he said, uh, honestly, he said, I don't know of a person out there this book doesn't apply to. He said, so that that's such a thing that you know, we're so excited about. And so that's kind of one of the problems we're having is, okay, well, you know, is there a particular person that fits? And honestly, we don't know somebody it doesn't apply to because at some point in the book, uh, I would almost guarantee that you're going to find a spot that absolutely applies to your life or a particular struggle you're going through or a situation that you're going through that you're going to say, okay, I need a different perspective on this. And we really encourage people to read it because of that 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 is great um now sean i know that your book is available um on amazon but you also touched uh you mentioned narrator um and and i know that we we've spoken in the, in the past you're actually coming out with an audiobook version of, of running for miracles that, that's that correct right? we actually just got it finished and we'll be offering some of that uh additional information on some of our different sites, which I'm sure Sandy will put some additional links below her stuff uh, so that you can just go ahead and follow those links. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're, um, and, and again, aside from, from buying the book on Amazon, you shared with me, um, Sean, your desire, uh, your ultimate desire for this book and, 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 and <laughs> how you want to use this book. Can, can you can you share that with us? Yes, our, our, our goal is to give a million copies of this book away. We, we absolutely want to touch a million uh -huh. lives, a million families, a million children, a million relationships, marriages, because really the goal for us is to have an impact because, again, like, like I kind of to reiterate and maybe sound redundant, but we don't know of a person this book can't touch, affect, or help, at least in some form. And so for us, that is such a big deal is because I don't want anybody in this world to go through some of the things that I went through without 
at least knowing there's one person in this world they can relate to because there is nothing in this world worse than feeling a hundred percent alone. Wow. So, um, so with that, um, if readers, uh, if readers want to, uh, to get a hold of this book, um, I will definitely, I'll put the links down below. And I think you're going to actually be launching that um, million book giveaway here in the next week or so. Yes, is that, that correct? That is the, the hope. We're, we're trying to do some touch-up stuff, but we'll be doing it very soon. Okay. All right. That sounds great. I'll keep links updated as, as that information is available. So with that, um, Sean, are there any last thoughts that you'd like to share with our, uh, with our listeners? What do you hope your readers will take away from this book? Probably the number one thing I, I just want every reader to get out of this is really just to have hope to keep inspiration or aspiration or motivation to maybe go through whatever they're going through to, to, to know that if nothing else, there is at least one person in this world that would let them know they're not alone, that, that I know at least what it feels like to really have no hope or to want to give up or to be depressed or be through majorly tragic events or tragic events around your family or um, just all hopelessness. And, and I think lots of times that particular feeling can just be so heavy on people that, that if they're stuck in that particular moment and they don't realize that they're going to get out of it, that they're going to make it, that they're going to get to a point to where, and, and lots of times that it's just a small thing even some of the worst things that they went through that we tend to give up too early. And so I think that anybody that reads this book will at least identify some parts in their life that will give them encouragement to go one more day to know that, Hey, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Hey, yeah, I might've made a thousand mistakes or 10,000 mistakes and missed opportunities or, or my kids might be in the hospital or, a divorce is ending or something like that. And just let them know each one of you that you can make it, you will make it and to keep pushing forward. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Sean, I, I appreciate you being on the podcast with us today. Um, I'm, I'm excited about your book. Of course, I've already read it. So um, that. That's that. But um, I want to thank you so much for being on, on the podcast. To those who are listening, I want to thank you for being here. I will have um, links in the description below where you can go ahead and, and uh, get your own copy of Running from Miracles. And um, thanks so much. Until next time, this is Sandy signing <coughs> off. Thank you. <laughs>